Welcome into Hitting Heart with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, I'm not sure how sustainable this is. In Matthew, we trust and the ceiling and the floor for the Atlanta Falcons this upcoming season. It's all next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Also, check us out on the SiriusXM app as well. And give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. So it was not a good weekend for the Atlanta Braves as they got swept by the Toronto Blue Jays. Now in a four-game losing streak as they looked ahead to Texas. And look, this is not going to be an easy time for uh, the Braves this upcoming week as well. They're obviously in the stretch of all of these interleague games that are going on. And now we get some games on the road as well where the Braves have honestly been really, really good. Now as they continue to battle injuries, with Kyle Wright, with Max Fried, obviously Ian Anderson done for the year, not ready to bring up Soroka and all this yet. Obviously, starting pitching has been at a premium and relying on Bryce Elder, Spencer Strider, Charlie Morton as the three main stalwarts in your rotation. And then, you know, a mixture of bullpen games, you know, maybe Dylan Dodd or what have you, Jared Schuster, just whatever that the the idea is. But one of the things that I do have concerns about is if you look at the last four games for the Atlanta Braves these these are the number of pitchers that they've used in the last four games start with the first game that they that they lost to the Red Sox okay eight pitchers then three pitchers five pitchers then six pitchers now that averages out to five and a half pitchers per game over this four game losing streak The only time that three that they had, that was the one where Spencer Strider pitched a gem, six and two-thirds innings, one run, 12 strikeouts, and they couldn't capitalize on that. And that's maybe going to be a discussion for another day about you've got to capitalize when you get really good pitching. The other thing is that they've only scored nine runs in the last four games. So their offense, while it's gone kaput, but they're having to use all kinds of pitchers. And look, they were bailed out by Strider the other night because, again, he's he's going to go out there and he's going to be the most dominant pitcher in the National League right now, right? Like, again, I, I, I feel like that the one guy in baseball that we can count on right now is Spencer Strider to go out and give you six innings, strike out 10 guys, not give up many hits, not get himself into trouble, not give up many walks. And unfortunately, they couldn't take advantage of that. But I'm I'm concerned about how sustainable this is because you're going to mix in bullpen games. And again, if you've got guys that can't get you into at least five to six innings in the rotation, then how sustainable is it that you're going to blow out all of these pitchers in your bullpen? Again, when you're using eight and six pitchers a night, and, and again, you, you don't have and, – and, and part of the reason I understand 
is that they had a couple of days off last week. But still, you're starting to burn through guys, and you're not always going to have two days off in a week. That's a rare occurrence right now in the world of Major League Baseball. The Braves were fortunate enough to have that, and that gave them an opportunity to go a couple of bullpen games and things like that. But as you change all of this, that's not going to be the case for the Atlanta Braves. It's not going to be as easy as just, you know, well, we're going to get a couple of days off and we can set up the rotation the way that we want it and blah, 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 blah. Like it, it's not going to be that easy. And when you start to burn through these guys and look, it's not the old days of Major League Baseball, right? I mean, Goose Gossage would pitch, you know, in, in 90 games and he'd pitch 110 innings, right? I mean, you'd have a closer, you'd have Mike Marshall, the Dodgers, Goose Gossage, Bruce Suter, that those guys could get you 100 innings as your closer. Nowadays, you just don't have that. You don't have those kinds of guys. And you don't even have really in, in today's modern day of baseball where everything is so matchup heavy, right? Lefty, righty, and, you know, this and that. And, and obviously, a guy's got to pitch, you know, three batters and all that. You know, you don't have guys that are necessarily long relievers anymore that could bridge you to get you two, three innings in the middle of a game. If your starter doesn't, you know, doesn't pitch very well and he gets knocked out early, you know, let's say a guy goes three innings, okay? You know, it's not easy to find guys that go four, five, you know, pitch the fourth, fifth, and sixth inning without burning some guys out. So this is my one concern that obviously, as we now know that the that the um, uh, Braves rotation is going to be out for a while, that, look, <laughs> Max Free is going to be gone for a while. Kyle Wright's going to be gone for a while. You know, obviously Ian Anderson done for the year. I don't know when they're going to bring Soroka up. I don't know when Mike Soroka is going to be strong enough to come up to the big league club and start pitching games. So it's going to be bullpen games. It's going to be the Jared Schusters and the Dylan Dodds. And, you know, if you move those guys up and down, there has to be a grace period where, you know, the reason for when Dodd got moved down, you know, he can't come up for 10 days. You can't just move a guy down for a couple of days and bring him right back up. There's got to be a grace period that you stay, you keep him down in the minor leagues. So this is becoming concerning just because, again, you're going into a stretch of games where you're still, you're playing some good teams, right? And you're going to see the Dodgers and the Phillies at the end of the month, right? I mean, those are the games that really count and matter, especially when you play inside your division. So you're going to get through this American League stretch, Rangers, the Seattle Mariners, and things like that. But then you're going to see the Dodgers and the Phillies as we round out May, head toward Memorial Day and things like that. And you don't want your bullpen getting burned out early on in the season. And you saw Glacius, you know, he blew a save. I mean, you know, those kinds of things happen, of course, over the course of a season. But they're really fighting right now when you're having to pitch eight guys, six guys. And you're not going to have the number of days off that you've been able to, you know, get through in this early part of the season. And again, we're moving toward where it's not going to be as early in the year, right? I mean, it's not going to be as early in the season as we, you know, move along here. We always use that excuse about, you know, well, you know, we're, we're early in the season. All right. Well, I mean, you know, that's going to last you for a while, but you start to turn the month into the month of June. You know, we're not, we're starting to get to where it's 
not going to be early anymore. And we're going to be headed toward the halfway point of the season. Braves have got 40 games right now. They've got a quarter of the way through the season. Okay. And they've been outstanding. And that's the thing is that the other clubs in their division have not been able to take advantage. Yeah. They move up a game here or there, but you know, I think the Braves are still up by five in their division and the Braves have had an outstanding start, right? Their offense has been clicking. You know, they're starting pitching when it's been healthy. They, I mean, Max Freed until they got hurt was fantastic, right? I mean, so again, Spencer Strider has been an ace of your staff, but the idea of having to pitch a lot of bullpen games and get these guys, you know, where you're, fi- you know, you're trying to pitch six or eight guys in a night. I just don't know how long that they can go with that. The best thing would be is that either one of these young guys or a Michael Soroka ends up in this staff and they can get one more really solid starter out there, right? I mean, obviously Elder's been fantastic this year. Strider has been unhittable this year. Charlie Morton has done some good things. He's had a better year, year over year than he has. So again, he's looks like he's maybe on track. If you could find just one more starting guy that could be a part of this rotation, you can figure out the back the back of your rotation. You can figure out your fifth guy. And obviously, you're going to have some days off to where you don't necessarily have to do a bullpen game, or at max, you do one bullpen game. So I am a little bit concerned about where we're at as far as how many pitchers that we're trotting out out of this bullpen. Five and a half pitchers a night doesn't feel like a sustainable number. Hopefully, you know, you can find a starter that gets some things done. And obviously, Strider has been part of that solution thus far. All right, let's talk about our friends over at FanDuel. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. FanDuel FanDuel.com is America's number one sports book. And obviously, as we are deep into baseball season right now, FanDuel has got you covered where if you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on, that's FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, sign up as a new customer today, and you can claim as much as $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. And with baseball, you can bet on over-unders, you can bet on uh, who's going to win the money line, how many homers Aaron Judge is going to hit, everything in between. So go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on and claim your no sweat first bet where you can get as much as $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel's the official partner of Major League Baseball. So one of the interesting takeaways from Falcons rookie minicamp over the weekend was the fact that Matthew Bergeron was playing exclusively guard. Now, Matthew Bergeron is the second-round draft pick for the Atlanta Falcons this past season. Excuse me. Played tackle at Syracuse. He was purely a tackle at Syracuse. And he had one practice. Let me me say this. Uno, one, uh, practice at guard in the Senior Bowl. Other than that, he's never played guard in his career. Now, obviously, they are going to give Matthew Bergeron the ultimate shot to win this job. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, that there aren't a lot of great in-house candidates, whether it's Matt Hennessy, whether it's Kyle Hinton, whether it's Jalen Mayfield. You know, uh, uh, 
uh, what's his name? Uh, Schrader or whatever, or sorry. Um, um, you know, the kid from Georgia, like, I, I don't even, I can't remember his name now just because again, he doesn't even play, but there aren't a lot of great in-house candidates to play at that guard position right now. And I have this sneaking feeling that Matthew Bergeron right now is the leader in the clubhouse to play that guard position, even though he's not played it in college and he's had one practice in senior bowl before this weekend at minicamp. And he taught, and look, he's a big dude, six foot five, 322 pounds, right? He's a big solid dude. And he talked about over the weekend about the idea of, you know, Hey, it's faster and this and that. And obviously the NFL game is very fast and, and he's got to, you know, get some things down playing inside where he's got two guys boxing him in. But let me put it like this. We've got to trust Matthew Bergeron because I do feel like for right now, uh, unless something drastic happens, that he's the leader in the clubhouse to take that left guard spot. And look, it's got to be better than Jalen Mayfield, right? Like it's got to be better. It's got to work itself out better than that. You know, Mayfield was nothing but a tackle you know, at University of Michigan, he only had the 13 starts and they tried to kick him inside to be a left guard. And that was the, that was the ultimate failed experiment, right? Like, like that literally, he was the worst offensive lineman in the NFL in that season that he started. But as again, as I've said, when you look at what the alternatives are, you know, having Matt Hennessy, I like Matt Hennessy, but I don't like having two undersized guys play side by side. Hennessy's an undersized guy. Dolman's an undersized guy. I don't like having two guys side by side that play together like that. Mayfield, obviously, unless there's a miracle upon miracles that all of a sudden physically, mentally, whatever the, the hurdles are, and obviously he missed all of last year to physical ailments, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know, I mean, okay. Yeah. I mean, again, he could have had, he could have had spinal replacement surgery in the amount of time that he was out last year with his back. But anyway, that's another story for another day, but we've got to believe in Matthew Bergeron because I, I think that he's the guy that's got to figure out a way to win this job and they are going to give him every chance. It's not coincidence that immediately he was thrown in the mix to be the left guard thrown at guard all weekend long. The first thing he did when he got on, on the, on the practice field was immediately line up at guard. And, and he was there from snap one. Wasn't like that they worked him in and he played tackle and just kind of got accustomed to things and the speed of the game or this or that. Nope. He was right in at left guard. And so again, we have to believe that he is going to be the guy that's going to nail down that position. Because again, unless they're, and look, obviously some things can change, right? Plans change, pal, as Vince McMahon always said, you know, there can be some things that the Falcons do have some additional money to be able to spend. And it's not going to be long before you have June 1st cuts that come along, right? Guys that will be designated for cut on June 1st. And then obviously, as we go into, you know, past June 1st, we head toward training camp. You know, we, we get into these mandatory minis and things like that. Guys will find themselves on the cut, you know, cut block, right? And then obviously the way the NFL is going to do it now they're going to just dump a whole bunch of players onto the marketplace when they do their first rounds of cuts and things like that. It's not going to be the slow, slow, slow chop. It's going to be a dump of a whole lot of players. 
So again, for now, we have to believe that Bergeron is the guy in all of this. And look, he's a good enough athlete that hopefully he can transition to that spot. I have my concerns. Again, it's I know people think fans, especially, think that all of this stuff is beer league softball, right? Oh, well, you know, if that guy can play second, he can play left field, right? I mean, that's, you know, because you see your buddies on the weekend, you know, they can, the, the guy, you know, in, in their, in your buddy's flag football game, he plays quarterback on one snap and he plays wide receiver. Oh, well, it's just easy enough to do all that stuff. Oh, it's just easy enough to go from second base to left field and all that kind of stuff. Everything is beer league softball to fans. But this is, you know, this is a lot harder than all of that. And it's not easy to transition. You say, well, it's just moving, you know, inside. Yeah, but it's a whole, it's a whole different way of how you play. You know, again, at tackle, you've got some freedom to move and different things like that. At guard, you're in a phone booth. And we saw the, the last experiment where they had a guy that was a pure tackle that kicked inside. It was a disaster. So, again, I'm having faith in this coaching staff. I'm having faith in this organization with the scouting department and all the things that that they looked at that they said, hey, this is a guy that we can kick inside and play left guard, that he's a guy that he's a good enough athlete, he was a good enough offensive lineman, that we can move him inside, he can figure out you know, a, a new position, and he can figure out a way to start for us. Because I don't like the guys that we have in-house. I don't like the guys that we have right now. I, I would have certainly liked, look, if, if they decided Elijah Wilkinson, that would have been the guy that was, you know, in case of emergency, break glass. And when he came in, he didn't even know if he was going to play guard or tackle. He played mostly tackle in the NFL. They didn't know, if, you know, he didn't even, he, when he first signed with the Falcons last year, he was like, well, I don't know if I'm going to play guard, tackle, whatever like that. So it's the one thing that we still have to figure out how to get right. Figure out how to make this happen with Matthew Bergeron. So to the coaching staff, scouting department, everybody within the Falcons organization, I'm going to trust Matthew Bergeron. I like the kid. I think he's got the size, the strength, the athleticism, everything like that to be a successful guard in the NFL. Who knows? Maybe it's not his long-term position that he's going to play. Maybe if McGarry falls on his face moving forward in this contract, maybe Bergeron kicks himself outside at some point and they have to try to figure out guard again. But for now, in Matthew, we trust because Bergeron looks like he's going to be the leader in the clubhouse when it comes to that left guard position. All right, once you make a hit and hard your first listen, make sure you go into whatever podcast platforms that you are listening on and leave us a comment that you are an everyday listener. We like to call them our everydayers. We thank you so much for being a part of our ever-growing community. We, we certainly want to hear from you that you do listen in five days a week into all of the episodes on our podcast platforms and let us know that you're an everydayer, as we say, an everyday listener to the podcast. So what's the ceiling and what's the floor for the Atlanta Falcons? Okay. So let's start with the floor. Here, here's what my opinion is of all of this. Okay. And, and some of your pundits and things like that may disagree, but we've nailed the last couple of years. So what do I think the floor is for the Atlanta Falcons? I don't think that there's any universe where the Falcons aren't at least what they were the last couple of years. I, I, I don't know how, 
that they wouldn't be at least a 7-8 win team at the very bottom minimum. You know, their schedule's not all that difficult. They have improved. So if the if things bottom themselves out, even if Desmond Ritter isn't great, even if we don't get our stars to be stars, even if the pass rush isn't there, even if we have struggles on the offensive line, whether it is Bergeron or Dahlman or McGarry doesn't play Vera, even if all goes wrong, I still think that they're a seven to eight win team as far as their floor goes, because the schedule is not that daunting. The schedule is really very favorable to the Falcons. We talked about that last week. And again, they have enough talent, like literally even being a sort of one dimensional offense at times, they were able to win seven games this past season. We know that they're going to be able to run the football. You know, if, if we figure the things that are true and are factual, they're going to be able to run the football. And if they can do that, you know, they can slow the game down. They can take the ball out of other teams' hands. They can do all of these things. Even if they just at a minimum do that, I don't think it's possible to not win at least seven or eight games. So I'm going to put seven games, eight games as the floor for this team. Now, how high can they go if things go right and, you know, their offensive line is really good and Bijan has a big year and their stars are their stars. Now, are, are they a 17-0, and 16-1 type of team? No, I, I don't think that they are in that kind of mix. But I think that they can be 11 or 12 wins given their peak. Once you start to get past that, you start to really, okay, when we start talking about 13 and four, 14 and three, 15 and two, okay, that's reserved for the really special elite teams, right? That's the Philadelphia Eagles. That's the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, that's reserved for those kinds of franchises that historically have been really good. You know, Buffalo to a certain degree as well. You know, everything has to go right. But still, I think that, you could see the Falcons be a 11 win team. I, I think 11 and 11 and six is a very realistic number. Can the Falcons be four games better year over year? Well, they certainly didn't have the record this past year in one score games that they had in Arthur Smith's first year. So if you clean some of that stuff up, then I think that they can get an additional four wins. Even if we don't have outstanding quarterback play, Desmond Ritter can do enough things, and I think he's a winner at that position that, again, he can figure out how to navigate through that schedule, and they can figure out a way to win 10 and 11 games. And we certainly think that their pass rush is going to be improved. You know, again, if you're a 38-sack team, since 2016, 70% of the teams in the playoffs have been 38-sack teams or more. So if we can get, again, we keep going back to that magical number of 40 sacks. We can be a 40 sack team. There's no doubt we'll be in the playoff picture. We'll, we'll probably win 10, 11, 12 games, be in the playoffs, probably win the division at that point. And that's the other thing, too, is this division is not all that good. Let's face it. I mean, we don't know about Carolina. We don't know about the Saints. We don't know about the Buccaneers. Like all, all four teams in this division are true wild cards. Everybody's an X factor in this division. Can Bryce Young be the guy? They've got some nice defensive pieces, but they lost their best wide receiver. Can Bryce Young be the guy? You know, I don't know what's going on in Tampa. You know, 
Baker Mayfield maybe starting, right? They still got some defensive pieces, but we don't know how good he's going to be. Obviously, with the Saints, they still have some pieces and parts, right, on their offense and defense. Can Derek Carr navigate his way through? Is Derek Carr the best quarterback in the division? Uh, it's like kind of like being the tallest midget right now. So, again, I, I and I don't like Derek Carr. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'll, I'll say it. I, I think he's a loser. But, again, every team in that division is a wild card. I, I can see several teams being below 500 and maybe only one team being really good in that division. But certainly then when you look at the way the schedule sets itself up, like we talked about last week, the way it sets itself up where most everything is Sunday at one o'clock, your divisional games are kind of spread out a little bit, even though they're a little bit heavy in the back end, but still you're getting breaks in between. You're not, you're not playing three division teams in a row, right? You get a little bit of a break where you, you get some, you know, scrubs. You certainly get some teams that are probably not going to be very good, you know, and look, if the Lions are good or if Jacksonville's good, I mean, those teams were above 500 last year. You know, I don't think that there's a reason that they would take a huge step back. I don't think Jacksonville's ready to take a step back. I don't think the Detroit Lions are a good up arrow kind of franchise. But even again, when you're talking about Arizona and you're talking about Houston and you talk about the teams in your division, a lot of those teams are not very good. So if I look at this realistically, I think that, at worst, the Falcons are a seven to eight team win team. At best, they're probably 11 or 12 wins. And if they can get themselves to probably 11 wins, I don't think there's any reason why they won't win the division at that point. I don't think that there's, I don't think any team in that division, Carolina, the Saints, Buccaneers, I don't look at any of those teams as being 11 or 12 wins. Have the Falcons improved enough to get themselves where they can be better in one score games? Desmond Ritter can be a better quarterback. They've got more offensive personnel. Their pass rush will be better. I mean, think about how we won seven games last year. We're still the most dreadful pass rush in the entirety of the NFL, playing a rookie running back. Your quarterback was a disaster. You know, Marcus Mariota was a turnover machine, just was a disaster. And even with the rookie quarterback playing the last four games of the year, he was able to go two and two. So I think there are so many optimistic things to look at with this Falcons team. Do I think that they're going to be better than 11, 12 wins? Again, everything would really have to work itself out. We'd have to have the best, one of the best pass rushers in the entirety of the NFL. Like, again, when you start, I know folks like to go through and, and pick out things on the schedule. Well, you know, this is a win, this is a win, this is a win, win, things like that. Things don't work themselves out. There, there are very few teams that are 13, 14, 15 wins in a season, right? I mean, even the good teams don't necessarily win that many games over the course of a year. It's hard to go 13 and four, 14 and three. Think about that, where, where, where you're at in that pecking order of teams that are that elite. I mean, if the Falcons are 14 and three, then we're going to be in the Super Bowl. I think that, I mean, if, if we're, if we're that good, we're probably going to be in the Super Bowl at that point. But again, I think 11, 12 wins is where they can, where their ceiling is. And certainly not more than seven or eight wins as the very bottom of the floor. I think a lot, there's a lot of things to like about the Falcons from schedule to player personnel, to everything in between their quarterback stepping up a lot of good things for the Atlanta Falcons coming up this season. 
All right, thank you so much for making Hit and Hard with John Chuck with your first listen. Make sure that you go in and leave us a comment that you are an everyday listener. So whatever platform that you're on, let us know that you're an everydayer, as we like to call them. Thank you so much for being a part of our ever-growing community. You make us, leave us a note that you are an everydayer and listen in five days a week. You can subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can get the latest episodes of Hit and Hard as soon as they become available. Check us out, too, on the SiriusXM app, and then give me a follow on my personal Twitter page, at JMCH316. Back with you tomorrow. This has been Hit and Hard with John Chuckery, Locked on Sports Atlanta. 